Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Broken Banquet, a podcast about missions. We are your hosts, Will Bailey and Dr. Ashley Goad, and we are so glad that you have joined us for another conversation about the church and missions, about what healthy mission relationships can look like, and as we hear from others who have dedicated their lives in one way or another to mission work. We're so glad you're here, and we hope you enjoy this episode. So how you doing? What's going on? Tell me all about it. What do you want to know? I want to know everything. I feel like we haven't talked in forever. I know. It's been like a week. Um, no everything's good um went to the states last weekend and preached a couple of times it was really good it was good it's it's a church that we've had a relationship with for like 15 years but it feels like the relationship is really maturing which is awesome you know, I was telling Yolanda when I got back, it's starting to feel like a visit to Shreveport because now it's not just the people who have been here who know who we are and recognize us, but it's like everybody. They have a, a missions wall between their sanctuary and their Sunday school classrooms. And uh. so every Sunday morning when the children leave children's church and go to Sunday morning, they stop in front of the mission wall and we'll talk about one of the missionary families. So during the normal service in the sanctuary, the kid, the kids came up, sat on the stairs, and the pastor who was doing the children's moment was asking them about the different missionaries, and they had pictures of them up on the screen behind them. And these kids who were like, you know, four and five-year-olds, they knew the names of every one of these missionary families. They knew the countries where they were serving, but they hadn't realized that I was sitting right there next to them yet because I was kind of behind the pastor. And so... Um, when they got to the Bailey family and asked, you know, where are the Baileys? And this one little kid said, Costa Rica. And she said, well, not all of them are in Costa Rica today and pointed at me and they like their eyes bugged out. It was really cool. You're a celebrity. <laughs> well, yeah, in a church. But but it was just cool to see how it's grown beyond just the people who come down here to see us, but it's it's part of church life, which is exactly what we want. That's kind of exactly. what we've been talking about for the last six months, isn't it? Oh, I just love that. I love it so much. We, I've been wanting to do that. Well, Michelle and I have been wanting to do that for years and years and years. And we actually had somebody come out, you know, that place on the bridge that connects to our big buildings. There's mm-hmm. this just dead wall space. And it would be perfect for this permanent missions display of all of the photos and uh, the people and a little write up under everyone. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. It was nice. It's nice to, to know that every Sunday those kids are being reminded of us and that they're praying for us. I love that. Well, good. I'm glad you had such a good trip. That was the coolest part of the trip. The weirdest part of the trip was that I had a a long layover in Bogota and I got in at like, I think I landed at like three o'clock in the morning and my flight to Costa Rica didn't leave until like seven in the morning. So I had four hours and that airport just has those terrible plastic seats with armrests between each seat Mm -hmm. and but i saw this sign that said sleeping rooms and i thought well that sounds 
perfect for the situation that I'm in. So I found them and they're those little, you rent for $10 an hour, a, a closet that one bed, it's not even a, like a twin size bed. It's smaller than that. It's maybe two and a half feet wide. And I'm 5'11", and I'm pretty sure it was designed for someone who's 5'10". But if I, if I got sort of, it's, it's hard to get diagonal on a bed that's only two and a half feet wide, but I did my best. And if you're claustrophobic, there's just no way you could do it. Right. But exactly. I, I, I'm aware of the fact that I was snoring loudly when my alarm went off because it was time for me to get up and go to my gate. <laughs> so I'd heard about those little sleeping rooms before, but it was my first time actually using one and I'm a fan. Um, oh, they're the best. They're the best. I do it on a lot of my overseas trips and I, in Amsterdam, especially it's the coolest thing ever. Like, it's just so, it looks like a spaceship when you're walking in. And so the little room, the little pod they have actually has a little toilet and a little shower too. Well, the shower is kind of over the toilet. Oh, super cool. That sounds way bigger and fancier than the closet that I was in, but I'm flying through Bogota again in August, I think. And I've got another weird overnight kind of layover. And so I'm already trying to reserve one, like to have it. So I just walk right into it. So anyway, very cool. Oh, it yeah. sounds great. I miss traveling. Will. Yeah. Well, mm. you know, remember when I used to be a missions pastor and I traveled all the time. <laughs> Be patient. Just be patient. I can't believe we're coming to the end of season one of the Broken Banquet podcast. Well, and we really never defined how long season one was going to be until mm -hmm. all of a sudden it was like, you know, this might be a good time to wrap up season one. So it did mm -hmm. sort of come upon us, but right. I think it's necessary. I also just realized that we're recording. So hello, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> I've been recording the whole, because that's what we do. See, that's when we miss the good stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> Hello, listeners. Welcome hey. to this season finale of season one of The Broken Banquet. We're so thankful that you've joined us. This has been a really good thing. I'm so glad that we did this. And, and the more I've thought about it, because just over the last couple of days, I didn't want to start a new book yet. And so I've just been going back and listening to some of our episodes because I just love our people so much. And it makes me happy. It fills me with joy to know that there is this group of people that has been cultivated by this podcast that has become like a family. Yeah, I don't, I don't, if someone asked me sort of what my expectations were, I, okay. I have no idea. I don't know that I had any expectations, uh, but it's been wonderful that people have, have gotten involved and, you know, we've gotten some feedback from people and, and hearing from folks that, haven't missed an episode or something in particular. Bob must know that today is our, our wrap up episode because he is just freaking out downstairs. So he's just going to be in the background, I think all day today, but um, hey, you know, Bob. everybody has, everybody needs to get their say on the broken banquet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, it's, I've enjoyed it. Um, I've enjoyed hearing from these different people and learning from them and reading some new books and having material to recommend to other people to read. Mm -hmm. Are there some memorable moments from the season that you recommend to others to listen to? Well, I mean, my episode, I want everybody to listen to mine just so that I can get a little bit closer to the number of listens that your episode has had, but I'm still <laughs> way behind. 
<laughs> no, I, mean, I, I recommend think... your episode all the time. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, I love the episode with Nate just because it was the first one and we had no idea what we were doing and it was just, it was fun. And then, you know, we went through like 28 other interviews and then when we got to Tamara Boone's, which was one of the very last ones we did, that one also was just so much fun. So I'm glad that if anyone hasn't been listening all along, but just finds it and just decides to like binge the bookends are going to be two really fun episodes with people that, that we're friends with. But I have a hard time picking a moment just because there have been so many good ones. I mean, my gosh, we've talked to people from all over the planet. Yes, literally. What about you? I think speaking to Dwayne Elmer after having written so much about him and using so many of his resources throughout my writing and research, that was a highlight for me. Um, speaking to Hunter Farrell and knowing that a little bit of my writing was in his book, that was just a, a top mountaintop moment for me. And then just speaking to all of our friends, people that we love so incredibly much, and then meeting new friends. I, I have nothing. I have nothing to add. They were all wonderful. You know, I think that makes me think of how really different to some degree this this experience has been for the two of us because most of the people that we've interviewed, you already knew and had some sort of a relationship with. Some of them I already knew, but the majority I didn't. So you were introducing me to people that that you know, as you were also introducing them to our listeners. So yeah, I've enjoyed getting to know so many of the people that you love. Yeah. And they got to meet you, Will. And that's the most important thing. <laughs> yeah, well. I feel like so we're taking some time off this summer and because you have just an insane schedule, you have so many teams. How many teams do you have coming down this summer? I think there's like 20 between now and the middle of August. Right. That's ridiculous. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be great. It is, is going to be great. I'm happy for you because you get to go back into a rhythm of pre-COVID mm -hmm. and I think that'll be great for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I need routine. I need sort of the pressure of people being here and, and deadlines. I struggle when, you know, I have things to do, but I don't have pressure to get them done. That's just mm -hmm. a hard thing for me. So I'm looking forward to a little bit of the, the adrenaline and the pressure and the kind of the running around and that kind of, I sort of thrive in that space. So it'll be good. I'm happy for you because I don't thrive in that space. I like <laughs> I like a little bit of a, a free flow, get to work on some things here and there. I can make my own schedule. That's so nice. So mm -hmm. hopefully this summer for me is going to slow down a little bit. That's what I keep saying. That's what I keep saying. So here's hoping. Yeah, I hope so too. You deserve a rest. Thank you. And... So ends season, <laughs> season one of The Broken Banquet. Ashley's going to go rest. I'm going to go work. We'll see you in September. <laughs> well, I did ask a few people uh, if they had any last minute questions or comments or concerns before we wrapped up this season. Are there things that they were dying to know before we signed off? And I got some responses. I hope you got some concerns. I think it'd be really cool if people were like, oh, Ashley, we're so worried about you too. Um, <laughs> that would be really nice. Nobody, so nobody. People are that invested. 
in yeah. in how we're doing that they're concerned about things or yeah. concerned that we're just going completely off the rails and have no idea what we're talking about, which has kind of been my concern a couple of times. I think the week that we did uh, record with Jessica Weaver and I was really angry <laughs> that day. Mm-hmm. That was yeah. the day that I did get several text messages. Yeah, you did. You had an angry day, and then and you kind of had a an emotional day with the Branhams, and of course, within reason, there was just so much going on. So, mm-hmm. but that's I mean, that's what makes it real, right? Yeah, if that's true, if we were just wooden, then I don't think it would be very interesting. But I think it. I mean, I don't have feelings, but the fact that you have feelings just makes you relatable. Exactly. Maybe that's why you're approachable, Ashley, and I'm not. It's because you have feelings and I don't. <laughs> you figured it out. Finally. It's like a light bulb. Gosh, everything just makes so much more sense. I need to call Yolanda. Can I send Yolanda a message real quick and tell her Absolutely. I figured it out? Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is why she's uh, so excited when I come to visit. <laughs> right. Because she gets to see someone who has feelings. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. Well, here, here's some questions that we had from our listeners. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. What do your parents think about you being missionaries? And we actually talked about this of having our parents on for a podcast. Right. That would right. be kind of fun next season. Yeah. Well, you want to go first? Absolutely. My mom used to freak out and be so nervous. I think especially those early years when I was just going off to uh, Mexico by myself or with a small group, she used to freak out. But it, I think at some point she and my dad both um, started handing it over to God. And they were like, this is clearly what you've been called to do, to travel the world and talk about Jesus. And we're going to support you in that. Now, that's not to say that before every trip, I usually send them a packet of information via email that has like my passport, photocopy, um, my life insurance policy, my, you know, all of these things uh, that is a just in case, just wanted to give you this just in case you need to rescue me or come get me from somewhere. And so every time they receive that, I just get a one liner back that says, thanks. (laughs) I'm, I'm astounded by how different you and I are, Ashley, and yet how, how well we get along. <laughs> Cause I'll go off somewhere and forget to tell them I'm even going anywhere. And then I get back and they're like, wait, you were what? So, I mean, Yolanda knows of course, but yeah, yeah. You know, my, my, my whole family has made it abundantly clear to me over the last 20 years that they're proud of me. And you know, I've never felt like they were uneasy or, or con- I mean, they may have been concerned, but, but not in a way that I felt like they wish I weren't where I was. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's made it a lot easier for me to be where I am because I'm not worried about uh, making my poor mother suffer. And I know they miss us, but I also know they fully support the work that we've been called to. And so I think one of the things that makes it easy for them is the fact that we are still relatively close. I mean, I was actually farther away from my family when I lived in San Diego, California, than I am in San Isidro, Costa Rica. So maybe it would have been harder for them if I was in Africa or Cambodia or something like that. But yeah, I've never felt anything but 
support from from my family thank goodness and your mom did build a house behind your house yeah when she retired she did um isabella is her only grandchild and so she wanted to be as close as she could as frequently as she could and so she did she built a little house right right next to ours and it's been wonderful for her to be able to come and spend that time with us and with Isabella, but also it means that sometimes when friends like Ashley come and stay for extended periods, they also get to stay in the guest house. Oh, it's so wonderful. It's just like being at home. Good. And I love being that close to y'all. So I can just pop right on up for a morning That's cup right. of coffee. Or go outside and talk to the horses. Yes. Oh, they like it when you sing to them. Not our horses, by the way. These are our neighbor's horses. <laughs> All right. Well, question to you, what has been your best mission trip? Well, I have two. Um, The first was the very first one that I went on when I was 15 years old, just because it completely blew my mind. Mm -hmm. The second one was the first time I went to Cambodia and it was a church that are, they're partners of ours here in Costa Rica and wanted for me to go with them to see the ministry that they were also partnering with in Cambodia and to meet the missionary they were working with there. And, and it was the first time in more than 10 years that I got to just go on a mission trip. And I wasn't the missionary. I wasn't the team leader. I, I didn't have to do anything except just go and experience it. And feel all of the things that people feel when they come here to be a part of what we're doing in Costa Rica. Mm -hmm. And I really, really needed that at that time. I needed to be reminded of what it feels like, of what I had fallen in love with so many years ago and all that kind of stuff. So besides just being mind-blowing, getting to go to Southeast Asia and and all the cultural stuff and the historical stuff, just on on a personal level and a spiritual level, it was really, really timely. And I'm, gosh, I'm so thankful that they invited me to go not once, but twice and just get to be on a mission trip. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. I could have answered that for you. Like I knew, <laughs> I knew what your answer was going to be down to your first one and the Cambodia. Yeah. I, that doesn't surprise me. I almost wrote it down just so that I could show you and be like, ah, got mm-hmm. that one. <laughs> How about you? Uh, I've been struggling with this because I I think I do more mission trips than probably you do. So, I mean, I've been to Haiti 40 something times. Um, Mm -hmm. So it's hard to choose. Again, though, my first one as a 16 year old going to Matamoros, Mexico, that was the trip that put into this whole journey into, into life. So, um, I will never forget crossing the border for the first time and meeting Pastor Jorge and his wife for the first time and meeting Rocio and her brothers and just ending up on this mission-oriented journey. So that one forever will be a a highlight of my life. I, I would say another one that sticks out so much was 2011, a trip to Blanket, Haiti, And it just happened to be this group of people on that trip who I was so close with at the time, uh, Sally, Sam, Jay, and one of my very best friends, Tim, who's since passed away. They were all on that trip together. And of course, the Haitian crew of Ansi, Valdez, Pastor Evans, who still remains such a big part of my life, Ansi and Evans especially. Um, And 
having just those worlds come together as my big Haitian American family, mission family, was just a perfect, wonderful week. It was simply being together all week. And yes, they built a clean water system while we were there. And that's one of the clean water systems that's still operating and highly functioning um, because of such a great partner in ministry there, uh, Evans. But that trip will just go down uh, in my heart as one of my favorite moments that I ever had in Haiti. Didn't you kind of get married in Haiti? Oh, right. Oh, my gosh. That... (laughs) (laughs) So one of my favorite trips that I've ever been on... (laughs) This is what co-hosts are for. One of the best trips I have ever been on (laughs) was in, was it 2020? (laughs) I can't do all the work for you, Ashley. Yes. In December of 2020, Christopher and I had gotten married in January of 2020, right before COVID shut down the world. But thankfully, Haiti pretty much stayed open, uh, and I was able to go down to Haiti that year several times. And after Christmas, Christopher and I took down his kids, uh, Kit and Palmer, and Palmer's husband, uh, Mitchell, and the five of us went down to Lakai, Haiti, and spent the week with Pastor Mongerard, Nimi, and the kids. We had such a beautiful time together. It was me introducing my family to my other family, the family that's known me for a very long time versus the family that I had just married into. So that was a beautiful thing to introduce uh, my families together. And then on the last day, Pastor Mongerard surprised us with a wedding. Since they didn't get to be at our wedding in January, they wanted to throw us a wedding. So it was awesome, Will. We drove up. Everything was decorated. There was food. Uh, Palmer and Kit walked Christopher in, and Mackinson and Nimi walked me in. All of the kids from the children's home were there. They did solos and scripture reading, and Mackinson uh, was able to um, was able to translate the whole service, and it was so wonderful. We had to do vows just on you know the spur of the moment, <laughs> top of our head, and it was it was the most meaningful thing I've ever experienced in my life. Thank you for reminding me and our listeners of that. <laughs> You're very welcome. Oh, gosh, that would have been great. Christopher, I love you. I know you're listening. I do too, Chris. That's why I made sure she told that story. (laughs) One of our listeners has asked, what is transformational missions? Do you want to answer? I would love to answer this. So when I came in for my interview in 2013, I believe it was May that year. Yep, May of 2013. Pat Day asked, what's the difference between transactional and transformational mission? Mm-hmm. And transactional was something that I defined as doing something for someone. And transformational mission means working together for the better good. A complementary relationship that's mutually beneficial. A relationship that we abide together. A relationship that whatever gaps the other has, we help fill them. I mean, to me, transformation means or implies a change of some sort. And 
my hope is that that happens on several different levels in a healthy missions model. Mm-hmm. So you have personal transformation happening within the participants. So maybe you have North Americans who got off the plane thinking that they're heroes and go home realizing that they're just children of God who have also been invited to the same table as the people in the community that they went thinking they were going to be serving. There also needs to be transformation within the communities that we are going into that hopefully by our presence there, they are maybe being made aware of a new way or a different way, how much God loves them and how much they bring to the table. And so there may be some transformation there if what they've always thought is that, you know, we are economically poor, um, we don't have anything to offer, and we just have to wait for someone from the outside to come and do stuff for us by realizing and empowering them that how much everyone has to offer could be, I hope, transformational for the community. And then you know, we we do things, we do physical work while we're here. So um, you know, right now we're transforming an empty lot into a worship space for a new church. Mm-hmm. Um, we are yeah, hopefully accomplishing all three of those things in our case for mm-hmm. this particular ministry that we've been called to. I hope that uh, the people who are coming in are being transformed into a more healthy perspective about who they are and what their role is in missional relationships. I hope the people who are hosting the visitors are being transformed by being empowered and recognizing how much they have to offer. And and then I hope that the community is being tra- transformed because we're able to address the needs that they see in front of them every day. And so mm-hmm. if that were transactional, we would be a construction company. Right. We would we would just go build stuff and that would be the end of the story. But we're not a construction company. And so that's why we're able to really emphasize the transformational abiding mm-hmm. piece. And and the rest will happen. I like that a lot. What what I heard too when you were saying that was that instead of fixing a symptom, fixing a problem that we're seeking transformation and change in the whole, like the, mm-hmm. the holistic side. Um, so instead of just saying, hey, I see something wrong with you, so I'm going to go fix it. You're seeking to get to know one another, seeking to live in relationship with one another, abide, and seeking to find what it is of how we can bring out the best in one another. Yeah. I mean, I think if we're in the right kind of relationships, then everybody's needs are going to get met. The mm-hmm. needs that are really obvious and glaring and the needs that we may not realize we even have until we get into that context and start getting to know the people around us that we thought we were here to serve and mm-hmm. and seeing the things that, that they have in their lives that we don't have in ours. And so, yeah, by being in, in a healthy, abiding relationship, everyone's needs should be met. And if that's not happening, then I think we have to question how healthy is this relationship? Mm-hmm. Was there a distinct time or turning point when you knew that working in missions was something that you were committing yourself to without reservation, that you felt absolutely certain that you've made the right decision that you were following God's will for your life? I don't I don't know if I could say there was a moment. I think from the very first 
mission trip I went on, I just kind of assumed that I would grow up and go to Costa Rica or wherever my church was going to serve when I got older and got a job and had a normal life. And so that just sounded very good and normal and and like a, you know, a healthy thing to expect. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, it wasn't like I could, I could say from that very first trip that, you know, I knew. However, I don't think I've told this story before. There was a a fella down here when I came that very first time. He was an, an American, an expat, and would just kind of when when teams were in the country, he would just sort of show up and hang out and help out. And he spoke some Spanish, so that was helpful. And and then a day or two before we left, he, all of a sudden you'd realize he was gone. And then, you know, you'd hear from some other team that had been down a you know a month or two later. And sure enough, he'd shown up while they were there. Anyway, his name was Joe. He was from Virginia. And at the end of that first trip, the day that he, he left, he pulled me aside. He said, when you get home, you need to tell your mom you found it. And I had no idea what he was talking about because he would say really weird stuff. Like he would just make things up and be like, yeah, Einstein said that. I'm just like, no, he didn't. But anyway, so I just thought it was just kind of Joe being a little strange. And years later, one of the team leaders from that trip who overheard that conversation reminded me of it. Actually, the, the Sunday that my church in Rocky Mount commissioned me to move to Costa Rica and stay here, she reminded me of, of Joe having said that on my very first trip. But Anyway, that's kind of beside the point uh, because I was too dense to recognize at that time what was happening. And I think to me, it's it's been less about a moment and more about just feeling this sense of peace that that this is it. And honestly, there have been a couple of times over the years that I've sort of wondered what else might I do? If all of a sudden we just couldn't do this anymore, then what else might I, and I, it's, that scares me to death because I have no idea because I don't know how to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So it's a good thing that this is kind of working out so far because I really have no, like there's nothing else that I can imagine yeah. my life being than what it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, that's, that weighs just as heavily as if I had had this sort of lightning strike moment. I did. I remember the summer that I lived here with the pastor and his family and met Yolanda and was invited by the bishop to come and stay. And all of those things were sort of happening all at once. And I remember I was working by myself one day and just feeling like, yeah, I can see this, you know, and feeling a sense of peace about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you're clearly, you are clearly 100% where God wants you and needs you to be. I think that mm-hmm. you're absolutely living into your calling, my friend. Thanks, Ashley. Yeah. <laughs> I Do was you just, have an answer for that question? Well, I was just thinking about, um, you know, I felt the call to to ministry early in life, but I just thought better of myself, like that I could do other things. And so political science was my way to go. And sitting in that apartment in Athens, Georgia, when I was seven days into my my master's of political science degree at the University of Georgia, I broke down and knew that I was not following the calling that God had on my life. And 
when I made the phone call home and told my parents that I was coming home, even though they had just moved me in seven days before, I knew that it was the right thing to do. And I have never once looked back Hmm. with confidence. I know I'm doing exactly what God called me to be and to do. Now, that's not to say that I'm not using my political science degree, which I absolutely am these days in ministry, you know, with all these Robert (laughs) rules of orders and lawsuits and wonderful things that have been happening with our church. Mm here lately, but I do feel like I'm exactly where I am supposed to be. And I think there are a lot of people around the world who would affirm that. Thanks, Will. And thanks, listener, for asking that question so that we could talk about that. (laughs) All right. Did you get any other questions? Um, Let's see. What's the funniest miscommunication or misunderstanding you've had in the midshipman field because of cultural differences? (laughs) <laughs> there's a couple that i'm just not going to share um, yeah, i know that that was my problem like i was thinking through and i was like oh i can't say that loud. <laughs> yeah and we've set the bar pretty low already so you can just imagine um one of my first trips here i was one of the only people who spoke any any level of of spanish whatsoever and it was not good spanish and we had done an activity with the children in the morning and the team leader wanted to know if they were going to have another church service that night so that we could set some, some materials aside. And so wanted to know if I would go ask the pastor if there was another service. And so I said, sure. And so I went and found the pastor and, and asked him, um, mm-hmm. you know, hay otro servicio. And he, he smiled real big. Said, oh yeah, of course. And took me directly to the bathroom. Because in Costa Rica, servicio, servicio sanitario is the bathroom. And so he thought that I was asking if there was another bathroom. And I was really confused at first about why this worship service was going to be in a bathroom. And then I realized that it was just because I did not know the right word for bathroom or for church service. So, yeah, that was, of course, for like a 17-year-old kid, pretty embarrassing. What's next? I think that's it. Uh, We have regrets. What are one or two regrets that you wish you could have a do-over on since working in missions? The first 10 years. um... (laughs) I thought that too, because I was going to say, you know, I would, I would go back to my, when I was working with Living Waters and would have done so many things differently. And yes, I would. But at the same time, that was where I had to learn. I really had to learn and learn humility and what better way to learn it than making the mistakes that I made. Yeah. Ah, that's a tough one. Cause on the one hand, there are things that we definitely could have done differently, but I'm also pretty confident that I can say we were careful enough that we didn't do damage. You know I was going to say it was not to the detriment um, of other people. So that's why right. I was okay saying that. So, yeah. So we could have done things better, but, mm-hmm we certainly could have done things a lot worse. So that's part of it. I have to be really careful when I think about my expectations for for the people who participate in this with us, because it's taken me 20 years to get to the point where I understand things the way I understand them now. And so for me to think that in five days, I'm going to be able to sort of reprogram people, mm-hmm. I think that's 
kind of ridiculous. It's also pretty, it's a big assumption on my part that people need for me to reprogram them. But you know what I mean? Um, you know, this is a, it's been a long process for me and, and I'm not even at the end of it. You know, I know this is a journey that we're still on. And so I just need to, I think, try and be as helpful as I can to people who are also interested in that journey, but also know that, you know, everybody moves at their own pace and learns at their own pace and transformation happens differently for different people. So I'm thankful. I think it's, you have to have that humility, like you said, that comes from making mistakes in order to treat people like humans. Mm -hmm. So I'm glad we didn't, I'm glad that we were never harmful or destructive. Mm -hmm. There you go. But I'm also glad that we are still learning and growing and becoming a better, more mature ministry than we were up to this point. Mm -hmm. Well, and that's a testament to time, investment, and commitment, which we've been talking about repeatedly over this season, is that what we're trying to cultivate and teach and learn through these podcasts is the importance of valuing others, the importance of creating an equal space around a banquet table, the importance of having an air of being teachable and learning and this humility and that things take time. We live in such a time-oriented society of where we have this instant gratification of where we want to change and do and be the hero all at the same time and automatically without putting in any of the work. And I think that's a testament to how you've been so willing to grow and willing to learn and willing to be teachable to those who are around you. I, I think it's a beautiful thing that when we finally settle into those spaces of our lives, that we know that that relationships are the most important things that we can do. And then being able to look back and say, yes, I did it wrong. Thank goodness I didn't blow the world up, but I was wrong and this is how I'm correcting it. And this is my commitment to others and to myself and to God of how I'm going to be moving forward uh, through the rest of my days of learning and growing with the people that are around me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm very thankful that I didn't blow the world up and <laughs> it's a testament to how patient the community that mm -hmm. has opened its door to me has been yeah. with me. You know, there may have been some times when they sort of scratched their heads and thought, what, what is this guy doing? But they, they were patient. And I think we've gotten to a point where we understand each other pretty well. And mm -hmm. so that's, I'm glad that they never told me I had to leave the table. Yes. Yes. And I think that's brought us to where we are today. Will this, you know, end of season one of the podcast of the things that we've learned, how we've grown together with people that we love. And I think it's testament to our next foot forward out in the future, like the things that are on the horizon for both you and for me, Will. Maybe what is one of those things? Should we talk about it? I think we should talk about it. Okay. Go for it. <laughs> one thing that I'm so looking forward to in this next season of mission and ministry is something that you and I have been talking about for a while. We have a lot of experience in this mission world for from our 13 years of friendship. And you and I have talked about starting our own missions ministry that 
concentrates mainly on working with a local church and helping them to reframe or reimagine their current missions ministry, or maybe even creating from scratch a missions ministry. And so we have gotten together to talk about our favorite word, abide. And of course, the Greek word for abide is Mino. And Mino Missions is now a registered 501c3 in Louisiana. And Will, I think that this is going to bring our friendship to a whole new level. I hope so. I hope it doesn't ruin it. Um, (laughs) But I think you're right. Yeah, I I keep telling people that it's sort of, it's like a a mission consultancy, you know, Mm -hmm. churches that want to go through this process and think that you and I might have an interesting perspective on it since we've got, you know, you've been in the church leadership part of it for so long and developing these relationships in a way that is is healthy and fruitful. And since I've been full-time in the mission field for as long as I have, and it's also been crucial for us to be able to develop those same kinds of, of healthy, fruitful relationships. So, you know, a lot of it are some of the ideas that we've been sharing on the podcast over the last six months, but being able to do it in a way that is just really, really kind of zeroed in and focused on defining what missions means to a church and then Mm -hmm. how to implement that. So I'm excited about it. Yeah, all those hot button words that we've been using, like mutually beneficial relationships, humility, companionship, presence, walking alongside each other. We're going to explore all of those concepts together in a 10-week type series that we can learn and grow together and hopefully create a missions relationship that is fruitful and hopeful for everyone involved. I hope to continue learning myself. I'm looking forward to the people, the churches that we're going to be beta testing with this fall and maybe next spring. So I'm super stoked about this, Will. Me too. Me too. I'm excited about it. And I think it's a a really neat next step for the two of us in ministry. And yeah, like you said, and overlapping the experiences that we've had. So yeah, friends, you can keep a lookout for minomissions.com and .org. Uh, I think that'll be our website and hopefully it'll be live here by the summer. As you can tell, we're pretty excited about this opportunity that God has placed on our hearts to be a part of the local churches that we love, the ones that would invite us in, the ones who are excited about exploring what it means to be Uh, live in humility and live with companionship and live in the ministry of presence and how to act all of those things out. So we're excited about, we've created this curriculum. We're ready to roll it out. So if you are interested in Will Bailey and Ashley Goad coming to your church with Mino Missions, you just let us know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right, Ashley. So for the next two and a half months, no new episodes. People can still access the earlier episodes. We're not going to take them off the air. So I uh, hope people will continue to listen and, and go back and re-listen maybe to some of them. And Catch then up. we'll, yeah, yeah, get caught up. And then we will start doing interviews, I hope, by the end of the summer so that maybe late August, early September, we'll be able to start airing season two of The Broken Banquet. 
And then friends, if you have any suggestions on who you would like to hear on the podcast or topics that you would like for us to discuss, we are open to anything and anyone. Just leave us a comment or send us an email and that's in the show notes. You can find our contact information in our show notes. And if you make a large enough donation to the Broken Banquet podcast, we will interview you on the podcast. You could be a sponsor. (laughs) Will, this has been awesome. I've really enjoyed our season. Thank you so much for being willing and for being the producer, the editor, the everything editor, the best interviewer that this podcast could have ever hoped for. So I love you, Will. Well, thanks, Ashley. Most of those things are not true, but thank you. And I know this has not been the most convenient season in ministry for you to have something else on your plate. So I'm grateful for the amount of time that you have also dedicated to this. And I think you're as happy with it as I am. And that makes me happy. Woohoo! Well done, friend. Bye, high Ashley. five. But, yep. Okay. There was a high five. <laughs> Bye, Ashley. I will. You've been listening to the season finale of The Broken Banquet, a podcast by Will Bailey and Ashley Goad. Join us for season two coming this fall, 2023. He's prepared the table. All things are ready. Come to the feast.